Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Rogue Stallion, Chapter 2. McCollum helped her into a small booth and came back with two mugs of steaming coffee. What if I didn't drink coffee? She had me smiling. I've never seen you without a cup at your elbow. No cream either. Sugar? Sugar. I live on the caffeine, not the taste. She cupped her hands around the hot cup and looked down across the table. You don't like my company enough to take me out for coffee unless you want something. What is it? He was shocked. Did she really have such a low self-image? His dark eyes narrowed on her face, and he couldn't decide why she looked so different. She wasn't wearing makeup. Probably she'd been in too big of a hurry to get Ellen's house to bother, and her inner infrequent worn big lens glasses were perched jauntily on her nose. But it was more than that. Then he realized what the difference was. Her hair, her long glorious sable-collared hair was falling in thick waves around her shoulders and halfway down her back. His fingers itched to bury themselves in it and the very idea made his eyebrows fly up in surprise. I don't read mine, she said pointedly. What? He frowned. Then remembered what I want to ask you something. She nodded resignedly and sipped at her coffee. He leaned back against the dark red vinyl of the booth, studying her oval face and her big brown eyes behind the round lenses for longer than he meant to. How is it you round up in that house during a domestic dispute? Oh, that, he cleared her. Don't make light of it, he said to her. More cops have been hurt during family quarrels than in shootouts. Yes, I know. I do read statistics. Ellen called me and I went. That's all. What I knew. Next time, he said slowly, <laughs> you phone me first before you walk into something like that. Do you understand me? But I was in no danger, she began. The man, the man weighs 250 if he weighs a pound, he said to her. You're what, 120, soaking wet? I'm not helpless, she laughed nervously. It wouldn't do to let him know the terror she felt when Ellen had called her, crying hysterically, begging her to come. It had taken all her courage just to walk into the house. Do you have martial arts training? She hesitated, the jigger head irritably. Do you carry a piece? What would I do with a loaded gun? She said, I'd shoot my leg off. <laughs> and now, did you go back to handle a drunken man who outweighs you by over 100 pounds and was bent on proving his strength to anyone who came in within swinging range? She nibbled her lower lip and stared into a cup. Yes, Ellen begged me to. It's my job. No, it's not. He said from me, your job is to help people who are down on their luck and rescue kids from abusive environments. It doesn't include trying to do a policeman's work. Her eyes, his eyes were unblinking. He had a stare that made her want to back up two steps. She imagined it worked very well when law breakers. She let a weary breath. Okay, she said, holding up a slender ringless hand. I let my emotions get the best of me. I did something stupid, and fortunately, I didn't get hurt. Big of you to admit it, he dropped. Your pain, McCollum. She told him bluntly, "Funny you should mention it." He replied, "I made the same comment, same complaint about you to Hensley only this morning." Oh, I know you don't approve of me. She agreed. You think social workers should be like you, all business, treating people as though they were statistics, not getting emotionally involved? Bingo," he said immediately. She put her coffee cup down. A hundred years ago, most of the country south of here belonged to the crow. She said, looking pointedly at him, because she knew about his enemies. They had a social system that was one of the most effective 
efficient ever devised. No one valued personal property above the needs of the group. Gifts were given annually among the whole tribe. When a man killed a deer, regardless of his own need, the meat was given away. To claim it for himself was unthinkable. Arguments were settled by gift-giving. Each person cared about each other's person in the village, and people were expected were accepted for what they were, and no one was solitude that he or she didn't belong in some way to even family. With the pointed expect with the pointed exception of Crazy Horse, who kept himself almost exclusively. She nodded, with his exception. Someone told you that I have crow ancestry. He got exactly she said. In Whitehorn, everyone knows everyone else's business. Well, mostly, anyway. She had it because she was pretty sure that he didn't know about her own emotional scars. The incident in that had been hushed up because of the nature of the crime, because they'd been in a minor involved. It was just as well. Jessica couldn't have a per permanent relationship with a man, even if she would have given most of her leg to have one with McCollum. He was perfect for her in every way. I'm more French-Canadian in my ancestry than Crow. He studied her own face with quiet curiosity. She had a pretty mouth, like a little bow, and her nose was straight. Her big, dark eyes, with their long, curly lashes, were her finest feature. Her even glasses didn't disguise the beauty. Are you nearsighted or farsighted? He asked abruptly. Nearsighted? She just threw her glasses self-consciously. I usually wear contacts, but my eyes itch lately from all the grass cuttings. I'm blind as a bat without them. Without these, I couldn't even cross the street if I lost them. His eyes fell to her hands. They were slightly tan, long-fingered, with oval nails. Very pretty. Are you going to arrest Ellen's husband? She asked suddenly. Now what do you think? We didn't get Ellen to press charges, she reminded We couldn't have even if she had. She'd have come back and faced him in court. She's afraid that he might kill her. He's threatened to, but as it is, he won't know where to look for her, and even if he did, it won't matter. Why don't him? What do you mean? She asked curiously. His eyes took on a faint glitter, like a stormy night sky. He gets drunk every night. He's got three previous convictions of DUI, and he likes to mix it up in taverns. He'll slip over the line, and I'll have him behind bars without Ellen's help. This time I'll make sure the charges stick. Drunkenness is no excuse for brutality. She was remembering what he said to Ellen about his own mother breaking his arm with a bottle when he's a little boy. She reached out without thinking and gently touched the long sleeve of his blue patterned western shirt. Which arm was it? She asked quietly. The compassion in her voice hurt him. He'd never known it in his youth. Even now, he wasn't used to people caring about him in any way. Jessica did, and he didn't want her to. He didn't trust anyone close to him. Years of abuse had made him suspicious of any overture, no matter how well met he jerked his own way. What you heard wasn't something you were meant to hear, he said icily. You have no business being in the house in the first place. She kept her mug in her hands and smiled. The words didn't sting her. She learned long ago not to take verbal abuse personally. Most children who've been hurt reacted that way to kindness. They couldn't trust anyone because people they love must have betrayed them in one way or another. His was the same story she heard a hundred times before. Never got easier to listen to. But there's a big difference between anger and hostility. Anger was normal, healthy. Hostility was more habit than anything else. And it stemmed from a low self-esteem, feelings of inadequacy. It was impersonal, unlike aggression, which was intended to hurt. A good social worker quickly learned the difference and how not to take verbal out 
for pouring seriously. McCollum was something of a psychologist himself. He probably understood him there himself very well. I didn't mean to snap, he said curtly. She only smiled at him, her, her eyes warmed to him. I know. I spent the past three years working with abused children. He cursed under his breath. He was overly defensive with her because she knew too much about people like him and it made him feel naked. He knew that he must hurt her sometimes with his roughness, but damn it, she never fought back and made sarcastic comments. She just sat there with that serene expression on her face. He wondered if she ever gave way to blazing temper or passion. Both were part and panel and parcel of his temperous nature, although he usually managed to control them. Years of self-discipline and helps. You don't like being touched, do you? She has to don't presume ever to psychoanalyze me. He replied, well, I'm not one of your clients. <laughs> Wasn't there any social worker who tried to help you? Yeah. They helped me. You know, I had home several of them. In fact, mostly on ranches. Her hands tightened on the cup. Weren't you loved? His eyes flashed like Longo. If you mean I've had a woman, yes, he said with deliberate cruelty. One of them, Jessica surrendered the field. She had known better than she should have known better than to pry. She didn't want to hear anything about his intimate conquests. The thought of him like that was too disturbing. She finished her coffee and drank the dollar bill out of her pocket to pay for it. I'll take care of it, you say carelessly. She looked at him. No, you won't, she said quietly. I pay my own way. Always. She got up and paid the old man behind the counter, walked out of the concession ahead of McComb. She was already unlocking her pickup truck when he got outside. Even if it wouldn't start, she needed her sweater. She got it out and locked it up again. You actually locked that thing? He said sarcastic. My God, anyone who stole it would be doing you a favor. I can't afford theft insurance, she said simply. Keeping my family home takes all my spare cash. Remembered where she lived. Across the creek on the outskirts of town was a huge tract of land, hundreds of acres. She played at raising cattle on it, and she had hired a hand who looked after things for her. Jessica loved cattle, although she knew nothing about raising them. But prices were down, and it wasn't easy. He knew that she was fighting a losing battle, trying to keep the place. Why not just sell out and move into one of those new apartment complexes? She turned and looked up at him. He was taller up close. Why? Because it's my home. My heritage, she said, was one of the first homes built in Whitehorn over a hundred years ago. I can't sell it. Heritage is right here, he said abruptly, placing his hand against her shoulder and collarbone in the general area of her heart. Contact shocked her. She moved back, but the truck was in the way. He smiled quizzically. What are you so nervous about? He said, he asked her. This isn't intimate. She was flushed. The dark eyes that looked up into his were a little frightened. He stared at her until images began to suggest themselves. Still, he didn't move his hand. You've had to go a lot of places alone to interview people who wanted assistance. He began. At least one or two of those places must have had men very much like Ellen's husband. Men who were drunk or would thought that a woman coming into his house alone must be asking for it. And when you were younger... You wouldn't have expected. She got a breath and it's chilling. Yes, he said slowly, almost to himself. That's it. That's why you're so jumpy around men. I noticed it at Ellen's house. You were concerned for her, but that wasn't altogether why you kept staring so nervously toward the bedroom. She made her lower lip and looked at his chest instead of his eyes. His pearl button shirt was open down past his collarbone, and she could see thick black hair of curly hair. 
a black mat of curly hair inside. He was the most aggressive, masculine man she'd ever known. God only knew why she wasn't afraid of him, but most men frightened her. You won't talk, will you? He asked above her head. You call him? She caught his big hand, feeling his strength and warmth. showed herself to push it away, but her fingers couldn't seem to do what her brain was telling them. His breathing changed, suddenly inaudible. His warm breath stirred the hair of him. But despite whatever happened to you, he continued as if she hadn't spoken. You're not afraid of me. You must let me go now. She spoke quietly. Her hand went flat against the shirt front. She knew at once that it was a mistake when she felt the warm strength of his body and the cushy softness of the thick hair under the shirt. The feel of him dropped her. My goodness, you're... You're furry, she said with a nervous laugh. Furry, he deliberately unsnapped two pearl buttons and drew the fabric from under her flattened hand. He guided her old fingers over the thick pelt that covered him from his collarbone down, pressed them over the hard nipple. She opened her mouth to protest, but his body fascinated her. She never seen a man like this at close range, much less touched one. Smell of soap and faint cologne. He drowned her in images and sensations and smells. Her fantastic eyes widened as she gave way to her curiosity and began to stroke him hesitantly. He shivered. Her gaze shot up to his hard face, but his expression was unreadable, except for the faint, unnerving glitter of his eyes. A man's nipple is as sensitive as a woman's, he explained quickly. It excites me when you trace it like that. The soft words brought her abruptly to her senses. She was making love to a man on a public street in front of a bus stop. With a soft groan, she dragged her hand away from him and bit her little lip. Just a taste of her. What a horrified expression. He murmured as he refastened her. Does it shock you that you can feel like a woman? Or don't you think I know that you hide your own emotions in the job? All this empathy you pour out on your clients is more than a shield behind which you hide your own needs. Your own desires. Her face said, Don't you psychoanalyze me? She gasped, throwing his early words right back at him. If I'm locked up inside, so are you, honey. He drawled, watching her react to the blunt remark. My personal life is my own business, and don't you call me, honey. She started to turn, but he caught her by the upper arms, turned her back around. His eyes were merciless, predatory. Were you raped? He asked suddenly. No! She said angrily glaring at him. And that's all you need to know, McCullough. His hands on her arms relaxed. He came caressing. He scrowled down at her, searching for the right ones. Let me go. No. He reached around her and relocked the truck. He helped her into his car without asking if she was ready to come with him. Started it and drove straight to his house. She was numb with surprise. She came out of her stupor when he pulled the car into his driveway, turned off the engine on it. Oh, I can't. She kicked well, I have to go home. Ignoring her protest, he got out, opened the door for her. She let him extract her and lead her up onto his porch. Mac barked from inside, but once Sterling let him let them in and turn the lights, he calmed the big dog easily. You know, Mac, he told Jessica. While you're getting reacquainted, I'll make another pot of coffee. And if you need to wash your face, bathroom's there. He added, gesturing toward a room between the living room and the kitchen. Mac growled at Jessica. She would try and become the friend later, but right now she wanted to bathe her hot face. She couldn't really imagine why she allowed 
McCollum to bring her here when it was certainly going to destroy her reputation if anyone saw her alone with him after midnight. By the time she got back to the living room, he had a hot coffee on the coffee table and fairly disreputable black mugs with faded emblems on them. I don't have China, he said when she tried to read the writing. Neither do I, she cries, except I do have two place settings of Halford, but they're cracked. They were my great aunts. She looked at him over her coffee. I shouldn't be here. Because it's late and we're alone. She nodded. I'm a cop. Well, yes. Your reputation won't suffer. He said, leaning back to cross the lines. There's one thing I'm not. It's a womanizer. And everyone knows it. I don't have, I don't have women. You said you did, she muttered. <laughs> it looked toward her with wise and be like, did, yes. Not since I came back here. Small towns are hotbeds of gossip and I've been the subject of it enough in my life. I won't risk becoming a household word again just to satisfy an infrequent ache. She drank her coffee quiet, quick, quickly, trying to hide how much his words embarrassed her, as well as the reference gossip. She had her own skeletons about which he apparently knew nothing. It's been a long time ago, after all, most of the people who knew about Jessica's past had moved away or died. Sheriff Judd Hensley knew, but he wasn't likely to volunteer information to McCollum. Judd was tight-lipped, and he'd been Jessica's foremost ally at a time when she needed one desperately. During a minute, Sterling put down his coffee cup, took hers away from her, setting it neatly in line with his. Leaned back on the sofa, his body turned toward her. Tell me. She clasped her hands tightly in her eyes. I've never talked about it. She said, well, he's dead anyway, so what good would it do now? I want to know. Why? His broad children. Who else is there? You don't have any family, Jessica, and I know for a fact you don't have any. Have even one friend. Who do you talk to? I talk to God. He smiled. Well, he's probably pretty busy right now, so why don't you tell me? She pushed back her long hair. Her eyes sought the frame print of a stag in an autumn forest on the opposite wall. I can't. Have you told anyone? Her slender shoulders hunched forward. She dropped her face into her hands with every side. I told my supervisor my parents were dead by then, and I was living alone. Come on. I may not be your idea of the perfect confidence, but I'll never repeat a word of it. Talking is therapeutic, or so they tell me. His tone was unexpectedly tender. She glanced at him, grimacing at the patient she saw there, as if he were willing to wait all night if he had to. She might as well tell him a little of what happened, she supposed. I was 20, she said, grass green and sheltered. I knew nothing about men. I was sent out as a caseworker to a house where a man had badly beaten his wife and little daughter. I was going to question his wife. One more time after she suddenly withdrew the charges. I went there to find out why, but she wasn't at home, and he blamed me for his for his being accused. I encouraged his wife and daughter to report what happened. He hit me until I couldn't stand up, and then he stripped me. She paused and forced her husband out. He didn't rape me, although I suppose he would have if his brother-in-law hadn't driven up. He was arrested and charged, but he plea bargained his way to a reduced sentence. He wasn't charged with attempted rape? One of the more powerful city councilmen was his brother, she told him. She lived out the black torment of those wet weeks. He was killed in a car wreck after being paroled, and the councilman moved away. So he got away with it. But Colin murmured angrily. He smoothed his hand over his hair, stared at the dark one. 
I thought you let herself for her life. I did, up to a point. My best friend had parents who drank too much. They were never any charges, and she hid her bruises really well. She's the reason I went into social work. She smiled bitterly. It's amazing how much damage liquor does in our society, isn't it? You couldn't deny it. Does your friend live here? She sure She lives in England with her husband. We lost touch years ago. Why in God's name didn't you give up your job when you were attacked? Because I do a lot of good, she replied quietly. After it happened, I thought about quitting. It was only when the man's wife came to me and apologized for what he'd done and thanked me for trying to help that I realized I had at least accomplished something. She took her daughter and went to live with her mother. I cared too much about the children to quit. I still do. It taught me a lesson. Now, when I send caseworkers out, I always send them in pairs, even if it takes more time to work cases. Some children have no advocates except us. God knows someone needs to care about them. Kids get a rough shake in this world. She nodded and finished her coffee. Her eyes were curious, roaming around the room. There were hunting prints on the walls, but no photographs, no mementos. Everything that was personal had some military or work-related stamped on it, like the monks with the police insignia. What are you looking for? Sentiment? Dijon. You won't find it here. I'm not a sentimental man. Here, carrying one in your way. You were kind to Ellen and Chad. Thank you. Taking care of emotional wounded people goes with the job. He reminded her, picked up his cup, coffee cup, and sipped the black liquid. His dark eyes searched her. I'll remind you again that I don't need hero worship from a social worker with a stunned libido. Why, McCollum, I didn't know you knew such big words, she murmured demurely. You didn't read dictionaries in your spare time. I thought you spent it polishing your pistol. He chuckled with reserved pleasure. The deep voice sounded different when he laughed, probably because the sound was so rare, she mused. What do you do with yours? he asked. I do housework, she said, and read over case files. I can't sit around and do nothing. I have to stay busy. He finished his coffee and got up. Or another cup? Yes, she shook her head and stood up. I have to get home. Tomorrow's another work day. Let me open the latch for Max so that he has access to the backyard. And I'll take you out there. I'll take you over there. Won't he run off? Yes. He's got a fenced-in area in his own entrance, he replied. I keep it latched to make sure the neighbor's damn cat strays all out of the house. It walks in and helps itself to his dog food when I'm not home. Climbs right over the fence. Just get the smell her laugh. It sounded so disgusted. She moved toward the dog, who suddenly growled up at her. She stopped dead. He was a big dog and pretty menacing at close range. Sorry, McCollum said, tugging Mac toward his exit door. He's not used to women. He's big, isn't he? She asked, avoiding any further comment. Big enough. He eats like a horse. He took his keys out of his pocket and locked up behind her while she got into the car. They drove back toward her place. The night sky was dark, but full of stars. The sky went on forever in this part of the country, and Jessica could understand how McCollum would return here. She herself could nearly could never really leave. Her heart would always yearn for home in Montana. When they got to her cabin, there was a single lighted window, and her big tomcat was outlined in it. That's Merriweather, she told him. He wandered up here a couple years ago, and I let him stay. He's an orange tabby with a battered scarred ear. <laughs> I hate cats, he murmured as he stopped the car in the front door. That doesn't surprise me, McCollum. What surprises me that you have a pet at all, and that you even allow a stray cat on your property. 
Sargasm is not your style, Miss Larson. He chimed. How do you know? Other than the time you were sick, you only see me at work. He pursed his lips and laughing. It's safer that way. Your lonely spinsters are dangerous. Not me. I tend to be a lonely spinster for life. She said for marriages and in my plans. He said, don't you want kids? She opened her purse and took out her house. I like my life exactly as it is. Thanks for the lift in the shoulder. She glanced at him a little subconsciously. I'm a glam, he said. I don't broadcast secrets. Mine, my own, or anyone else's. That must be why you're still working for Judd Hensley. He's the same way. He knew about your problem, I gather. She nodded. He's been sheriff here for a long time. He and his wife were good friends of my parents. I'm sorry about their divorce. He's a lonely man these days. Loneliness isn't a disease, he muttered, despite the fact that you women like to treat it like one. Still upset about my bringing you that pot of soup, aren't you? She asked him, well, you were sick and nobody else was going to feel feed and look after you. I'm a social worker. I'm taking care. I like taking care of the underprivileged. I'm not underprivileged. You were sick and alone. I wouldn't have starved. You didn't have any food in the house. She countered. What did you plan? What did you plan to do? Eat your dog? He made a face. Considering some of the things he eats, God forbid. Well, I wouldn't eat Merriweather even if I were really starving. He glanced at the cat and went, I don't blame you. Anything that ugly should be buried. Not eaten. She made a sound even when I started to open the car door. Go ahead, you might. Tell me he's not ugly. I wouldn't give you the satisfaction of arguing. She says muggly. Good night. Lock that door. She let her. I'm 25 years old. She pointed at her head. This works. No kidding. She made a dismissive gesture with her hand and walked up onto the porch. She didn't look back, even when he beeped the horn as he drove away. End of chapter 2.